0: Welcome to The Rebellious Investor, the podcast that cuts through all the noise surrounding investing, property, mindset, and building your successful life. Let's get into it. Hi, it's Matt Brown here from The Rebellious Investor, and we've got a phenomenal guest on board, Bianca Hage Hazelman. How are you today, Bianca?
1: Good, it's Hachi Hazelman, and I probably have the most complicated last name for most people to pronounce. I'm sorry about that.
0: That's okay. I'm sorry for mispronouncing it, even after I practiced it 10 times, so (laughs) apologize about that. And English is my first language, but so Bianca has a background in um, financial journalism. She has a master's degree in journalism and a graduate diploma in applied finance from UTS. She's the CEO of Financy and she's on a mission to expose the data insights to push for financial gender equality in Australia and around the world. So where did you come up with this mission, Bianca?
1: Um, This mission, I suppose, was inspired by, uh, I mean, as a finance journalist, you become aware of um, issues and you become aware of trends and things like that. And for, um, for me, working at the financial review, I was always covering personal finance, and I think that's probably um, around the time that I first met you, Matt. It was. Um, and yeah, and I um, just found myself increasingly drawn to writing or being aware of the issues that many women face with regards to finance and it was a bit of a personal mission to try and get more women into the columns that I was writing and things like that and then uh, as what tends to happen um i fell pregnant around uh, early 30s and then uh, gave birth to a gorgeous little girl and i started questioning you know what what impact what legacy do i want to give for this this little one and and really it was a a very personal thing that happened to me around trying to um, better impact the the future in terms of women's finances from a well what could I do from a reporting point of view so that gave rise to Financy as a women's money blog and it's kind of taken off from there and looking at the, the constant measuring and tracking of women's finance through the Financi Women's Index and looking at timeframes to equality through the index as well and now we're on a, a bigger mission to to help corporates and to, to really boost their credentials when it comes to affecting economic equality.
0: Yeah, so the Financy Women's Index. I think this is a phenomenal uh, thing that you've sort of set out to do. Um, tell us a little bit more about that and where you draw all the data from.
1: Well, the think of the index as a real aggregator of a lot of official data of a lot of official data that's already out there. So we look at the gender pay gap from the ABS, for example, and we look at Hilda data um, on unpaid work. So we're constantly sourcing data that provides us with a a gender split and we look at the the gender gaps the differences uh, within those. Uh, We also look at education data, superannuation data, unemployment, um, employment data, census data, it's all pulling it together and even um, Australian Institute of Company Directors leadership data. So financing really aggregates this to make sense of what is happening when you hear about the gender pay gap, what's the context of that in the overall picture of women's financial progress, because some women aren't as affected by the gender pay gap as they may be affected by uh, underemployment, leadership, uh, different things around education. So it's a matter of making better sense by putting it all together and saying, how does this affect the working life of a woman?
0: And you've touched on an interesting point there around the difference between paid work and unpaid work. Uh, I know in my, I'm married in my household, we try and share as many of the uh, household chores as possible, but uh, evidently you know, my wife does all the cooking because she's a much better cook than I am. But then you know, I do all the cleaning, so we sort of try and balance these things out. And I guess in a relationship like that, you can sort of make it as equitable as you can, but then when you go to an employer-employee relationship, having that type of equality around all of your employees, whether they're male or female has to be something that we should all be striving for.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's important for where it is we're trying to go and we're trying to role model a, a, a greater spans of opportunities for girls and boys with what they can be in the future. And we're trying to enrich organisations and enrich economic growth by having greater diversity. And there is so much research out there that, that shows that having greater diversity increases innovations within the workforce. And I know a number of big companies are very much on board with this. If we can increase the ideas pool that's out there, you can increase the innovations, the productivity. There's um, research around the, the staff well-being and satisfaction that flows from that. And that in turn helps to boost performance and company profits. So there is a business case and a strong one there for the change that we're seeing at a social impact level. I suppose where where we're at is really trying to look at, well, what can we do um, in terms of family or workplace dynamics to better role model that for our children, um, to really set the tone for how things can can improve. But I'm very impressed um, that, and I think more and more people are doing this, It, it is a real balancing act Um, with respect to unpaid work and it is dependent on okay well who's earning the majority of income but what we do tend to see is irrespective of um, uh, how much people do women are still doing disproportionately more from a paid and unpaid work together when you add up both tallies women are doing about six hours more per week overall Um, and why we care about that is because we're really trying to reduce the barriers to financial, financially progress and we're not seeing women progress in a financial sense as much as men despite doing more work on average. And you would think that if you're working harder, you should be getting remunerated that little bit more, but um, there's lots of data out there that shows that that's not the case necessarily.
0: Well, look, I've been working as a financial planner for well over 15 years, and when you sit down and you look at sort of the assets and liabilities, and particularly with superannuation, normally the spouse's or the female spouse's um, superannuation balance is significantly lower than the male's. Um, And we find this typically because the um, female might have some time off for maternity leave when we're starting a family and raising a family. And if you think about a decade um, off, Adding any contributions into your superannuation, particularly in the age of say thirty and forty, um, this is a huge amount of money that you don't have going in, and that you're not compounding for the next thirty or forty years. So yeah, it's definitely um, when we look at that on the financial planning side of things, something that is just glaring at us um, all the time. Um, is, do you have any sort of strategies around how they can sort of equalise that?
1: Yeah, I think it's such a it's it's such a powerful observation. And and we're not always aware of it going into having children, but when you have your eyes uh, more open, I suppose, to <laughs> the impact, I think you can talk, um, or there's an opportunity to talk first and foremost with your partner about how superannuation, how you can continue con- to contribute towards it even though you're on parental leave. And you know, the flip side can be said for when the father takes paid parental leave at the same time. Um, it would be nice to think that we could do more sharing of that superannuation, and and um, it would be nice to think that uh, employers could be paying, more, paying superannuation continually on parental leave. Uh, we are seeing a lot of larger employers do that, but um, for small businesses, that can be quite challenging and difficult. Um, but I think ultimately, even though I'm a small business owner, that is a utopian vision to be able to, for people to be able to take parental leave, but also not lose out on the superannuation um, perspective at the same time. So to keep that going for when they return to the workforce, I think it's also an added incentive to return to the workforce too, when you have that engagement that continues throughout um, parenthood and and taking time off. But certainly that relationship discussion is so important because it's the family dynamics and hopefully, you can stay together and continue together but if you can continue to contribute to that person who's not taking time off then as you've um, identified the wealth pool is so much greater the financial security and the confidence and all these different things are, are, are richer and, and, and people and households can be so much better off.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And it's something where the government really just hasn't looked at. And if you think about just parental leave, you know, men couldn't get that. We've only just been able to get access to that in the last couple of years because um, employers didn't actually uh, look at us in terms of parents and gave us the uh, initiative to be able to then go and take paid parental leave or even have access to that. So yeah, I think we are trying to sort of equalize a playing field for both uh, men and women in life, um but I, I, I totally agree with you that we are very far away from that being um, in that perfect uh, balance at the moment. Um so what is the actual sort of pay gap at the moment if you're looking in general between males and females in the workforce?
1: Uh, on average, weekly average wages data suggests it's about fourteen percent, which is which has gone up uh, this year over the pandemic. So we've seen male wages growth outpace that of female wages growth. Uh, that's despite having uh, record highs of women participating in the, the, the paid workforce um, and it's really interesting because you've got women probably have arguably fared a bit better over the pandemic uh, than men in terms of employment engagement. Um, I think the benefits of flexible work, being able to work from home, um, increased needs for part-time casualisation of the workforce have probably played more in favour of women as a percentage more so than men. Um, So that's really an interesting observation because at the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of feedback and concern around, is this gonna be a pink recession? What is gonna happen? Because the impact was quite profound on female dominated industries at the beginning. But as it's unfolded, we've seen it benefit women um, in terms of the female workforce of hospitality, uh, retail and health and education for that um, uh, matter. Services um, are really seeming to, to benefit more so as we're coming hopefully coming out of this pandemic but i don't really feel we are which is lingering but i think we've got that economic growth being driven by services um and women are benefiting from that and just that flexible work story is really having a a a beneficial impact on women my hope is that that continues into the future so that you can see that increased participation among women in the workforce because that's really critical to that gender pay gap story and that actually improving
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I definitely think that the work from home, flexible work arrangements is going to be here to stay. I don't think people are going to accept having to go back into the office from night. From nine to five every day they're going to really want that flexibility and this could definitely encourage um younger parents to be able to come back to work earlier on a part-time basis over on a full-time basis if you have that more flexibility obviously with young children there's a lot of things that need to get done but there's also a lot of downtime when children are sort of sleeping especially when they're that, at that younger age so that could really um add to more females and males coming back to the workforce earlier do you, what do you think about that
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's interesting, this one, because I've I've spoken to a few economists. Some are of the view that we will see definitely the availability of more flexible work arrangements provided by employers. Some are actually of the view. So I feel like we're going to get to a hybrid model. I think some people will definitely want to be back in the workforce. I know I I speak to a friend of mine, and and she admits, I am not productive in the home when I'm having to work from home. I'm, I'm someone who needs to be in the office. I need to escape the family home and escape the... Piles of washing and things like that to really focus. So that there is this argument that um, if, as long as you can prove your productivity, uh, there's more of a case for you to, for employers to be able to grant this remote style working where it actually is possible for the type of occupation. Um, so I think we're definitely going to see more of it, but I think it could be a bit of a hybrid between uh, just fueled by, you know sheer occupation and the desire to interact with people because we miss it we do miss it i know i certainly do
0: yeah totally agree um i found when i was trying to work from home the balance was being able to set up a space or a quiet space where i would be able to um just work from home, and it was just a space where I went to work, and it wasn't that I did anything else. And I think that's going to change the dynamics of where how, the way that people live. Also, um, we've already seen quite a, a systemic, you know, sea change and green change for people moving out of units and out of inner cities and out into bigger properties and bigger homes, with the ability to then set up um home offices where they know they can go into this particular room and that's where i go to work um with me trying to homeschool or with in my family trying to homeschool two kids with two um, parents working all on the um, kitchen table it was a interesting dynamic to say the least
1: yeah it's tricky i mean look at me i'm i'm literally in a garage at the moment doing this podcast because it's the only space i could get that really is away from everybody where, where building a new house and there's a lot of construction going on where we where I would normally be um, but I can't be in the home because this there's, there's husband's working in the home there's all these different things happening so we really had to adapt and, and children it's really interesting the ho- whole homeschool dynamic I don't know about you but some schools did it a hell of a lot better than others um, some schools really struggled and I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out on on children um, in years to come. Yeah, I totally concerning. agree.
0: Yeah, Um, I was reading an article in the Australian Financial Review looking at how many women actually accessed the um, superannuation to actually get that $10,000 out, they were able to take out $10,000 two years consecutively if they had lost their job. And the article was talking about um, that women were being pressured by their partners to actually go in and access that superannuation to bring that capital into the family home, whether it was needed or not. Um, Do you have any sort of insights into that or any more information? Uh, on that topic, yeah.
1: I think we're really talking about financial abuse there, and there has certainly been examples where um, uh, some women have reported that they were pressured to withdraw superannuation, um they really didn't even get to spend that superannuation the partner controlled where that was spent and things like that so that is just an example of financial abuse where someone will see an opportunity they'll use that coercive control to take advantage and unfortunately what was meant to be a good initiative to really help people some people just took advantage of it and um, it's unfortunate financial abuse is a, is a, a a big problem in this country that probably needs more of a spotlight shined on it, And I know a lot of the banks are trying to do increasingly more around that, which is a really good thing. Um, and there are a lot of uh, growing support networks out there. But it is something to be aware of when we provide this additional stimulus. How do you make sure that it is genuinely of use to that person um, directly uh, when there is an abusive partner at play? Um, yeah, definitely something I'm very aware of, and um, I think there needs to be something in place to help people who have withdrawn from super to rebuild super. I mean, the, the other thing at the same time, and, and I really um, uh, am a little bit concerned about this. Is and I, but I get the need for it is withdrawing up to fifty thousand dollars for a home deposit.
0: Yes, that's definitely annuation. going that's definitely going to stimulate an already overstimulated part of our economy and asset class.
1: I just don't think that's, uh, I mean, I understand it. I understand why young people really need that access. And, you know, I speak to my younger brother who actually needs to do it. He wants to do it. And I'm, I'm really happy for him to be able to. But at the same time, I'm concerned about this. The property prices are already so far out of reach for, for many people. And we, we took advantage of the sea tree change and came further north and the Tweed Shire regions had one of the fastest growths in the country and that is continuing. So it is a real concern to me that even escaping the Sydney hustle and bustle on those price rises, that regional areas are seeing these price increases that are making that increasingly more unaffordable. So I, it is something I'm really worried about. Is that the right type of stimulus? I don't think so.
0: Uh, I totally agree with you. Um, But if they are going to go down that path and allow you to access capital, then that should be an investment from the actual super fund. So let's just say for example, you access that $50,000 and you're buying a property for 500, well then 10% of that property you don't own your superannuation owns that particular property. So if in 20 or 30 years time, if you go to sell that particular property, well, that 10% doesn't go to you to go and buy another property, it goes back into your superannuation. So if the government can structure it in a way where they're actually allowing citizens to nice. invest in themselves, I think that could mm. be a really nice balance there. Um, but I'm not a policy maker down in Canberra, so what would I know? This is just some thoughts that I've been having um, around that. Uh,
1: but they're I all... think that's a really great idea. I haven't heard that one before. You know, and that would make sense, and that could keep um, that uh, accumulation benefit there, and you, you had that link yeah definitely nation. I
0: like that well it's actually keeping that capital as investable funds and you're investing in an asset class that typically does go up in, in, in value especially in this country so I actually think that that made a lot of sense I've done a fair amount of, of thinking around around these different things like, um, and if they were to do it that's that's what, the way that I think would be would be best but yeah but there are also other co- um, companies out that are coming out um, like uh, you know Live Now Buy Later the guys at the CBA just um, invested in a company called Own Home and then so what they're yeah. doing is they're allowing you to um, basically rent to buy where they put down the deposit they put down all the stamp duty you pay a very small fee and then you accumulate some capital in that property via the rental payments and also by the equity going up in time so they look at within a five to seven year period you rent where you want to live you actually have the opportunity to then buy that property back from them once there's enough equity there for you to do that and go and get that loan because I think the biggest issue is or I know that one of the biggest issues is for younger people is actually just saving up that initial amount of capital. Particularly if you're looking at entering the Sydney property market, you know, average property prices here are a million dollars. Now 10% deposits, 100 grand plus stamp duty, you're talking $150,000. Like that's a lot of money. And when property prices are going up by 20%, you you cannot keep up with the growth of the asset that you're looking to um, purchase into. Uh, so again, mm. a lot of people with this work from home, oh, so work from home flexibility, they are looking at that sort of tree change or um, sea change to actually get into those affordable areas. But even now, some of those regional areas were some of the fastest growing um, areas in Australia.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. I, I just, I really like that idea that you've come up with. I think it's a, I think it's a cracker.
0: Well, you can. Um, I, I
1: think. Quite- I think. It would be nice to see more of a hardship analysis to really ensure that any further stimulus really goes to the people that that need it, that need the leg up, and it's not just fueled and taken advantage of by investors who are eyeballing that opportunity. Um, You know, we probably will be shut down for a few things like that, but we've really got it. We do have a, a responsibility here to make sure that younger Australians have that fair opportunity to get in and own their own home if they want to do so otherwise i think we'll be flooding more to other assets
0: Yeah, but also I think in Australia, like the the Australian dream is to actually own your own home, which is definitely what a lot of people are striving towards. But, you know, if you look at places in Europe that have a very much older um, property, you can then go and rent a property for 10 years and it becomes yours. You can renovate it and you're renting property from these huge housing trusts. Now, I don't know if necessarily that's the way that Australians want to move the property market, but definitely in the US, you see huge investment banks or investment um, trusts coming in and buying up swaths of um, residential property and then renting those back to, Um, The the citizens. So it's going to be interesting to watch this space and see um, where it goes into the future. And it's always going to be something that, you know, people need somewhere to live. So the government really needs to look at how they can make it more affordable, how they can get access um, to people to, to live in those areas. And I think also people need to choose. Well, you know, you need to look at being able to live where you want to live and have that sort of view and goal that if I want to buy a home, then I really need to start thinking about that, you know, in my early 20s not start looking to save in my 30s or mid 30s when you know just looking to start a family but yeah lots of different things mm. that people need to um analyze there so with financy what's the vision for financy going forward from here
1: It's a good question <laughs> uh the well i mean it's exciting where we have just received uh investment from a, a company called Tech for Good which is super exciting and we are actively building out what Financi is going to be um, in terms of a hub for women's finances and really connecting the dots when it comes to uh, what are those financial inequalities and what are the things out there, the products, the services that can help uh, fill those gaps. So that's what we're working towards from a tech perspective, and um, we're really excited to be partnering with a lot of great organizations at the moment about, um, you know, from, I should I won't rattle off everyone's names, but there's some really exciting uh, developments happening in terms of the financial literacy and the capability space that we're focused on, um, and also supporting organizations in making change in support of gender diversity and economic equality, so working strategically on ESG and how that um, how they can address um, critical things and, and obtain um, B Corp um certifications and things like that. So there's there's a few different plays from a B to C and supporting the financial capability of women but also from a partnership and a corporate perspective in actually helping these organizations in doing better for their employees and doing better for society um by partnering with us and looking at different initiatives that actually don't just tick the box but can move us all closer to the utopia goal of of um greater financial fairness for everyone.
0: Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, um, I was reading some stats as well from Superhero and a couple of the other brokerages. Never before have they seen so many women opening up brokerage accounts and starting to invest. So I definitely think there is a, a tilt. For the you know next generations, that they're really more interested in becoming independent, both males and females, and that's independently financial themselves, so that they can stand on their own two feet. Where historically, I guess, women have really relied upon the men to provide that financial stability in the household. That has definitely shifted because, like like you said, there's more and more women working full time, but then still having to do all of the household chores at home. And and as those incomes start to come to parity, you know, you can't get that financial abuse because women. Are comfortable like hang on a second i don't need you to support me financially so i don't have to put up with either financial abuse or any abuse i am my own person and i will seek my own happiness and i think that that is a fantastic goal to um be striving in financing so if we wanted to find out a little bit more about you or financy, or if some of the corporates wanted to reach out what's the best way to get in contact with you
1: Uh, Financy.com.au is a contact us page. I'm, I'm, you know, with what it's like with social media, you feel like you're everywhere. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, we're all kind of all all over that at the moment with our own pages, but definitely come straight to the website and um, let's have a chat. That'd be awesome.
0: Great. Uh, Any last bits of information or anything you wanted to share?
1: Um, I think just picking up on your last point, I've seen so much activity around women wanting to trade, women who are uh, just about ready to trade, but they they just haven't pushed the go button. Um, that's really encouraging um, from a wealth accumulation perspective. These are younger women or these are women who are looking at social responsibility types of investments. And... I know that from the masterclasses or the different chats that we have or the content, the best performing articles are around investing, they're around share trading, they're around property investing, so the appetite is increasingly hungry Um, and I'd like to see that conversation not just preserved and I mean certainly celebrated for, for women in their career and peak of their career and 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 so forth but let's start having it even earlier let's start having it uh in universities absolute must but these are conversations that we should be talking about from a um a, a very young age i think around investing around just having your own money building your own money building a business very young in primary school Um, I know you might think that's a little bit early, but if we're talking about bank accounts, your dolomites and different things like that, why can't we be talking a little bit bigger and a little bit more context around that? So we're really setting um, some actions in play and just thought processes way before we're into our mid-30s where we're having to think about these things.
0: Oh, look, Bianca, I 100% agree with you. Financial literacy is basically non-existent in our current education system, and I think it's really a disservice to everybody. You know, I re- I've been working in finance, but I really didn't start learning about finance until my mid, early 20s when I then started thinking, about, oh, now have some money, and what am I going to do to invest with it? How is that going to work? And I went out and started learning on it, and that was where my transition from PE teacher to mortgage broker and financial advisor all came about. Um, but yeah, financial literacy definitely has to be taught um, in high school, and uh, as young as possible would be better because it's these early habits that you build in which is going to create a lifelong success. If we get, mm. you know, uh, adolescents or even primary school age students, you know, saving 10 to 20% of their pocket money or everything that they get and start to learn the, the power of compending and how that money um, grows over time, it's going to be so powerful for them. I've got, we've my wife and I do something with the kids where we say to them, if they want to buy something with their own money, we're like, okay, if you want to buy that, um, think about it for two to three days. And then just think about if you really, really need that particular thing. And then if you do, remember, if you spend money out of your account, it's not going to grow. So we just do a thing where we double their kids' money every year, as long as they don't take any money out of their savings. So that's okay now when they're just nine and seven, I don't want to see what their accounts are like when they're 15, or hopefully I do. But um, yeah, Yeah, it's a little thing. It's a little thing- it's
1: exciting because but things like that, are, you're almost ready and you're probably already there, Matt, where you're kind of like, okay, well we might in, we might start investing in, I don't know, this company, this app, I don't know.. Yep. but these, these um, I've, I've had some great conversations with people who are who invest for their children, even in the small change apps from a very early age. And as long as that investment is continued, um, so it's not eroded by fees, but it's continually built upon the nest egg there is is really quite promising, which can be pretty good um, for, for later in life a really good start and I think there's something really empowering for a child even to know Hey, I don't know have that 800 or 400 or whatever it is in their bank account. That's my money Just Correct. That, that actually is empowering for a little kid. They might not have a concept or grasp of what even fifty dollars that depending on the age of the child is but it is something that is very very cool because I don't really think I became aware like you probably around money till much later in life when my parents divorced and I suddenly felt poor really poor um and I, I do remember times where we'd we'd have charity come over and give us food and things like that so really kind of needy we were for some time And that was really a deflating, um, horrible experience to go through. But to be able to turn things around and and, um, is a really empowering thing. It's certainly something that I've never been able to let go of, but it's also that fear that's also always in the corner at the same time. So there's so many lessons that we can learn and give to our children um, from a very early age. And I I love to hear these stories and, and what you're doing as well. It's exciting. It's encouraging
0: yeah and then sort of that financial trauma at a young age it sort of stays with you for a long time and and if you, you really have yes. to have a confidence about money and saving and investing because when you're doing things from a place of fear typically those negative emotions you get a negative result where if you're doing things from you know confidence um, and authority you're getting a much clearer mindset and you're going to get a much better result um because you just have those better intention or that better energy when you're going and doing those things uh yeah so Claudia and i decided early on that we were going to try and teach you know some money smarts to the boys as as early as possible um and try and follow some of them um ourselves and some tips i guess for people who um are looking at um entering into a relationship or moving in together having a money chat is so important it's like one of the Core pillars or foundations that are going to work through your life and through your family for the rest of your lives, and you know so many divorces um, happen just because of money, money arguments that just spin mm-hmm. out of control because one person's you know controlling all of the all of the finances, potentially loses some money or or, or whatever that particularly happens that causes that. But um, a really good way or, or how I try to have our finances set up and works really well for us is. We have um, all the money going into one account, which then pays for all of the the, the sort of family bills. And then Claudia has then her own personal account and her own personal credit card that she looks after and funds all the things that she wants to do. And I have the same thing on my side. And it's the same, regardless of how much money we both contribute into that um, pool in the middle, we both have the same um, discretionary spending to go on live our lives and have fun. So yeah, that's a really, well, that's how I do my thing. Oh, that's how we do our thing, sorry. It's not my thing, it's our thing. Yeah. That's how we do it. Um, have you, do you uh, how, you don't have to share your personal finances. Have you got Wait, any no, tips no, for women? Of
1: course. Well, I'm very much the same. I believe it's really your choice, but it's a discussion that needs to be made and it has to be that genuine choice. So it's um, uh, it's really about, talk i think it's good to have your own a family pool of funds or a group pool of funds particularly if you're saving towards that asset together but it's also so important to have your your standpoint and your ability to access your own money regardless of your gender in a relationship you need to have that money that you can if you need to buy yourself something that's important or uh even just a want or something like that that you can access it Um, money to leave if you want to leave different things like that are are really important so I'm very big on yeah by all means have that group savings goal Um, as I said I, I do that in my own relationship but I also have my own monies and so does my husband he actually loves that ability and I would never want to take that away from him and saying, let's just pull it all in. Even though at times, especially when we were starting out, we were, we were doing that. Um, it's just something that it gives you. And I almost can't describe it, but it gives you this control and this... Um, uh, Oh, just, just this feeling of individualism.
0: Confidence, you know, you, you can be your own person and it, it makes you feel um, happy and know that you're in control of your own financial destiny or you're in control. You don't have to ask someone else, oh, hi, do you mind if I go out for dinner with my friends and then have to worry about how much yeah. it costs? Because if you've... Um, given up other things to ensure that you can afford that on a personal level, then you, you should just be able to go and do that as long as you're not doing things that's gonna hurt the relationship or the other partner, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. so.
1: It's really interesting. I know people who um, who do set boundaries on, w- within their relationships, this works for some people, where uh, you know anything over, let's just use $1,000, for example, then we'll have a discussion if I'm gonna go buy that, or $500, we'll have a discussion, anything yep. more than that. But I've seen some research that for men, um, they, are uh, they, they have a much higher threshold. So they want to be able to spend, for example, over $750, um, in any transaction without consulting, whereas women will, will pull it down to $250, which I find really interesting. I find really interesting that, uh, some kind of behavioral stats around, in relationships around money. So I think that, that is one thing you can do um, if you're wanting to set some kind of limits and if you are saving towards a goal of owning your own home or you're investing or you're saving for private school fees or whatever it might be, um, or just a holiday or a wedding or whatever, yep. um, that you actually have an agreement on you know, what is permissible, how, how united are you in this kind of goal together and and you're setting the boundaries on whatever else doesn't need to be discussed.
0: Look, I totally agree. So Ray, my co-host and I, we've um, done lots of investing um, over our lifetime. um, And when we have achieved the greatest results is when we actually spoke to our wives outside of the investment (laughs) management just to get their feel on different things. Especially when you're looking at investing in different businesses or different ideas or different concepts because men, we have big egos. Some of us bigger than others, but... Typically men have big egos and with what comes along with that is, you know, an overconfidence that you can always do things right and there's blind spots in the way that we look at things and the way that we analyze things. And when we have both at an individual level gone and done that and really started to um, incorporate our partners in the investment decisions in our companies and, and for our families, we have achieved much greater results and um, they have assisted both of us ma- from making some big mistakes. So thank you to both of you lovely ladies. Um, and I think that comes back to also, you know, that just the, that equality in the household and quality in the workplace, you know, I think men and women, we are definitely very different and we have different energies and we look at the world through a different lens. So having, being able to access that resource is really, really important if you're going to create a thriving, successful life.
1: Mm. And, and and what's important i think that you're kind of touching on there and it's something i'm, I'm big on is the utopian vision is not necessarily women getting to where men are right now i think the utopia vision is going to be somewhere in between because we're seeing behaviors of men change we're seeing men say hey i actually don't want to slog my guts out from six in the morning till six at night i actually want to do more things for me i want to be this dad or go on these adventure races and things like that. So having this greater work-life balance and we're seeing men um, drop off in terms of full-time workforce participation, that's been a gradual trend over many years. And yes, has been impacted by more men retiring and things like that, but it certainly is changing. So I don't think um, the utopia is women trying to model ourselves on being like a man in terms of our participation rates completely in the workforce or in unpaid work and things like that. My hope is that we find uh, a closer to happier medium somewhere in between in around the 10 to 20 percentile part of the um, equation.
0: Yeah, totally understand. And look, I've got two clients who um, both, uh, the males, basically left their high corporate paying jobs and basically became homestayers, and the wives went back to work um, full time. So they did sort of this sort of the first 10 years where um, the wife was at home as the primary carer for the family, and then after that, they've now swapped it around, and then once that next sort of period of time, they're going to both then look to um, work part time. So they can be spending, both of them be spending the maximum amount of time with their children. When they're so young because that's the thing with mm. um your kids like they just they grow up so fast and 80 percent of the time that you're going to spend with your children is between the ages when they're born and when they move out so if you think of that somewhere between they people moving out a little bit later now but somewhere between the age of say 20 and 25 to 28 depending on um when they move out that's 80 percent of all the time you're going to be able to spend with your children and a lot of that is taken up by the primary home carer which is typically the woman and then the, the man misses out because they're trying to do this career so i think you know equality in the workplace equality at home across the board is going to just um have benefits showering upon the family so it'll be good yeah
1: yeah i agree with you i'm i'm big on that totally agree. great well i think well, on
0: that one bianca we can wrap up i'll put uh some links to all of your socials in the show notes thanks so much for coming on and i'll um catch up with you soon it was
1: lovely lovely to see you again too matt
0: Thanks. Bye. See you. Bye. Remember, this podcast is not personal advice,
1: but meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. Each host and any guests are providing their own personal opinion and is not providing professional, financial, or any advice. The material provided does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. For more details, please review our full disclaimer located on our podcast website.
0: Wow. That was a mouthful, but we got there. Speak to you soon.